Hey again, my name is Russ Miller. I live in northern Arizona. Um, uh, God gave my wife and I a ministry to steward that we named Creation, Evolution, and Science Ministries. We, we came up with this name because sometimes, like this morning, we talk about creation and biblical accounts. And sometimes, like we'll do uh, this afternoon, we'll talk about evolution and evolutionary accounts. But we always try to tie these two religious beliefs into the evidence. Oh yeah, they're both religious beliefs. Hey, do you know for the last 55 years, and secularists, you know, they own the system. They own public schools, universities, media, and entertainment. They just, they teach their religious belief in the place of science. So today, kids, if you ask a college kid, is creation uh, a religious belief? They'll say yes, but you turn around and say, what about Darwinian evolution? They'll say that's science. They confuse the two. They think science and evolution are the same thing. Science is knowledge derived from the study of evidence. Um, evolution is a belief on how we came about, right? Just like creation is a belief on how we came about. They're both beliefs on how we came about. Neither one is science. But real science is a believer's best friend. We'll talk about that more tonight. But I just want you to know that 84% of the branches of modern science 84% were started by Christians to study God's creation. That's been undermined by sacralists that now have taken over the system. But real science has always been a believer's best friend and is their best friend today. But you have to watch out for false science, science falsely so-called, 1 Timothy 6, 20 through 22. And that's what we'll talk about more uh, tonight. This morning, though, I want to talk about the truth of God's word because that's under relentless assault today by the secular side. And again, they own the whole system. But the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture. Well, that means word for word and cover to cover. Now, that should make being a believer incredibly easy. You read God's Word and you believe God's Word. It shouldn't be any easier than that, right? except the other side. Satan and his minions are experts at what they do. They're out there throwing all sorts of stumbling blocks out there to get you to think you can't believe in the authority of God's Word. But all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. You know, in fact, Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. Now, you see the book of Genesis, especially creation, especially the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created under relentless attack, right? There's a reason for that. It, it, there's a foundational battle. We're in a war of worldviews, the secular view versus the biblical view. But Jesus said that Moses wrote of me. And so it's important to Jesus what Moses had to say. In fact, through the inspiration of God, Moses is used to lay down the foundation for the gospel message in the first and the third chapters of the book of Genesis. If you're going to build anything like this building, any structure, the first thing you do is you have to lay down a foundation, right? You have to build on a solid foundation or everything you build later is going to eventually collapse upon itself. Well, through the inspiration of God, Moses lays down the foundation of the gospel message right up front in the Bible. This is where we're told God gave us a perfect creation. You know, I think this is beyond human comprehension today, but try to imagine a perfect creation. No death, no evil, no suffering. It was perfect. Well, what in the world happened to it? It's not perfect today, is it? Hey, you ever have somebody, and maybe you've had this thought yourself, but good scoffers, boy, and colleges are full of professionals now, 
you know, they'll come up to a young Christian and say, hey, uh, I understand you're a Christian. Uh, well, yeah, I am. Well, I, maybe I'd like to be a Christian. There's just one thing I can't get over. Maybe you could help me become a Christian. Well, uh, okay, how, how can I help you? Well, you, you Christians believe in this loving God that knows and cares about every one of us, right? Oh, uh, yeah, that's our God. Knows the numbers of hairs on your head, which is easier for some people than it is others, by the way. Yeah, that's our loving God. Well, then here's my question for you. My aunt's dying of cancer. Three kids were killed in a car accident in that intersection last night. We have wars, death, and disease reigning over the planet. Where is your loving God? Grow up. Well, if that child doesn't know how to biblically answer the question, how can we have a loving God in a world full of death and suffering? They'll probably be one of the 87% that leave the church by the age of 20. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think 90 to 95% of adult Christians cannot biblically answer that question today. It's because of old earth beliefs. I'll, you'll see that in a few minutes. But if you leave here with nothing else, else today, know how to biblically answer that question. It's an unbelievably simple answer, and it's right there in Genesis 1 and 3. The answer to how can we have a loving God and a world full of death and suffering is this. God didn't give us the world the way it is today, full of death and suffering. God gave us a perfect creation. What happened to it? Adam's original sin. You see, Adam's original sin corrupted the creation, bringing on the curse that allowed death to enter the creation. And that's why we live in a world full of death today, but have a loving creator. It's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? You see, but old earth beliefs that put death before Adam have undermined people's faith in that answer. Now, how loving is that God? Well, see, that original sin's more important, though, from a Christian standpoint, because it separated us from God. Adam walked in the garden with God until that original sin separated us, and that's what we deserve. What we deserve is to be separated for eternity from God. But he's such a loving God that despite our sin, which is rebellion against him, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross so we could be redeemed with him for eternity in heaven. That, my friends, is a loving God. In fact, Jesus, praise God, what he's done for us. In fact, Moses also told us that God has judged man's sin once already with a flood of waters that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. Oh, come on now. That would be a global flood. Now, I, I'm going to blame this on Pastor Charlie, but he told me I could be absolutely honest with all of you this morning. Is that okay? Can I be honest with you? Does anyone want me to lie to you? Okay, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. If God's word were really true, okay? I mean, if there had been this flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven that lasted for almost a year, I mean, the evidence would be overwhelming. There should be almost nothing to even argue about here. I mean, if there had really been this global flood, right? I would expect the outer crust of the earth that we live on and walk on will be made up of sedimentary layers stratified out by moving water by grain size, weight, and density. So the crust of the earth would be all shale, all sandstone, all mudstone, stratified out by the moving water. You ever see a miner with a pan? He scoops up some sediments and sloshes it with the water back and forth. Well, the moving water stratifies out the sediments by grain size, weight, and density. 
Well, on a global scale, we would have had the same situation. So we'd have these stratified layers laid down by water if there had really been a global flood. And those layers laid down in that year-long flood, I'd expect them to be full of millions and billions of dead things that were drowned and buried so quickly in that year-long flood, they didn't even have time to rot away or get eaten by scavengers. I mean, you know, if the Bible was true, it'd be overwhelmingly obvious. Well, what do we actually find today? Well, the outer crust of the earth averages a mile deep of sedimentary layers of rock stratified out by grain size, weight, and density, and those layers laid down by water are full of billions of dead things that we call fossils. Things that were drowned and buried so quickly they didn't even have time to rot away. Exactly what would be there if the Word of God were true. In fact, Jesus goes on to state, if you don't believe Moses, how shall you believe my words? Well, why would it be important to believe Moses in order to believe Jesus? Well, you see, the, the humanists are the secular worldview, and they've taken over the entire system now. They own public schools, universities, the media, entertainment industry, everything. That should scare people, by the way. But they, they now own the system, and they teach their religious interpretation of the world as if it were science. You know, people ask me all the time, Pastor, they say, hey, Russ, what evidence do you have the Bible is true? I always say, well, I have the exact same evidence that atheists use to say it's not true. Think about it. Don't we live in the same world? Don't we all have the exact same evidence? It's never been about who has the evidence. It's about who gets to interpret the evidence. Okay, take those sedimentary layers laid down by water. In fact, the whole battle of worldviews between the secular view and the biblical view comes down to whether or not there was a global flood. And I'll bet you most Christians, I bet most of you have never given a second thought to the global flood. Let me show you why it's the whole linchpin in the war of worldviews. The humanistic or secular worldview is based on the exact same sedimentary layers stratified out by grain size, weight, and density. They just interpret that evidence through their religious belief, which is that there was no flood and that you evolved over millions and billions of years of time as those layers slowly formed on their own which immediately makes me think, well, why are they stratified out by grain size, weight, and density? Shouldn't it just be one big brown conglomerate? Yeah, see, it took the global flood to stratify out the layers. But what this is teaching is that, whereas the Bible says, in the beginning God created, and Jesus Christ said man was made male and female since the beginning, and the biblical message is man's sin corrupted a perfect creation, allowing death to enter, separating us from God, requiring our redemption through Jesus. The old earth beliefs, which are worshipped today, now they were only invented about 210 years ago, but they're, they're teaching, no, no, you evolved over millions of years of death and suffering. The Bible says our sin brought in death. They're teaching, no, no, it was death that brought you in. They're polar opposites. Do you see that? They put death before Adam. That's what the old earth beliefs were invented to do 210 years ago, undermining people's faith in the authority of God's word. So what they're teaching, and they're doing this through the schools, it's subtle, but it's devastating, is that, hey, there was no creator there was no perfect creation corrupted by some original sin that separated you from some supposed creator. We've, we're in our 55th year of teaching that in this nation, and as Pastor Charlie said, we have now lost an entire generation. An entire generation. And it's not getting any better because they own the system, and this is what they're teaching. 
Atheists understand this much better than most Christians. This is from the editor of American Atheist magazine. If there was never an original sin, there's no need of, of salvation. See, if there was no original sin, there was no separation. If there was no separation, there's no need of redemption. And it's time that we wake up and learn some simple, easy science and start standing up for the truth of God's Word. If the age of the earth is an issue for you, do not think you're alone. Over half of Christians are trying to compromise God's Word with old earth beliefs, not realizing they're putting death before Adam and undermining the message of the cross. If old earth beliefs are a problem for you, I cover this in our old earth global flood message. I explain how radiometric dating and carbon dating work so you'll understand how they actually support God's word, not the secular atheist misinterpretations of the world. I explain carbon dating, I explain uh, Pangea, continental drift, the ice age that only fit a world that's an endured a global flood. Global flood wipes out every old earth belief. And I'll cover those in one of the messages tonight as well. So why did God destroy his awesome creation? Well, again, back to Moses. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and he said, I will destroy man. And to the New Testament in 2 Peter, we're told, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. A lot of people think there were two people on the ark. There were eight people on the ark, four couples, Noah, his three sons, and their wives. Four couples on the ark. And that's interesting because National Geographic did a study on the human genome and came to the conclusion all humans have come from one of four distinct gene pools. Well, we could have told them that. They could have just read the book of Genesis and figured that one out, right? And you know, if you started with four couples about 4,500 years ago, and if they averaged 2.2 children per couple, you would have about 7 billion people on earth today. Census studies say there are about 7 billion people on earth today. Imagine that. I guess a fair question would be, well, come on, Russ, if there really been this global flood and a few people survived to repopulate the world, wouldn't there be some flood legends floating about? Hey, did you know that almost every ancient civilization starts out with an account of a few people surviving a flood and repopulating the world? In other words, ancient history supports exactly the Word of God. More than 300 ancient flood legends are known. Okay, well, then how did Noah and his family collect those animals from all over the globe? Yeah, I don't think he could have. You know, there's a lot more than eight of us here today, and we have jet boats and jet planes and helicopters and trucks. And if God gave us around 120 years to collect all the animals from all over the globe, I don't think we could do it. How did Noah and his family do it? Well, they didn't. God had the animals come to Noah. Two of every sort, seven of the clean types. Okay, well, how did Noah and his family fit those millions of animals on board the ark? Well, let's get a feel for about how many animals might have been on the ark with Noah and his family. First of all, the Bible indicates he only had to bring those that breathed through their nostrils and lived on dry land and some birds. So that gets rid of a lot of supposed issues. I mean, fish wouldn't have been on the ark. Water-dwelling mammals like whales and porpoises wouldn't have been on the ark. Amphibians didn't have to go on the ark. Insects didn't have to go on the ark. That gets rid of all sorts of supposed issues. But the most important phrase to know is that he only had to bring two of every kind, not two of every variety of a kind. Follow me on this. 
uh, the Bible tells us 10 times in the book of Genesis that plants or animals will bring forth after their kind. Today, after millions of scientific experiments, the only thing that's ever found is kinds will only bring forth after their kind. People will only bring forth people. Dogs will only bring forth dogs. Pine trees will only bring forth pine trees. Uh, it's called micro-adaptations or micro-evolution. If you ask me, hey, Russ, do you believe in evolution? I'd say micro-evolution. It's exactly what the Bible says will happen. It's caused by the sorting or loss of genetic information. Gene pools get weaker and weaker. It's what breeders like uh, farmers or, or, or ranchers uh, used to breed for purebreds. You don't add information, you lose information. You breed out everything you don't want. It's called gene depletion. The gene pools get weaker and weaker. I have a purebred yellow lab. If you breed two purebred yellow labs together, guess what your puppies are gonna be? Yellow labs, because they've lost everything. They don't have the genetic information to produce anything else. Now you breed two mutts together, guess what your puppies are gonna be? You wouldn't have any idea. You have to wait till they're born, right? Because they have a wide gene pool. There's no telling what they're going to be. But micro is caused by the loss of information. Darwinian or macro change starts out as, let's give them a bacteria cell. We'll talk about the law of biogenesis tonight and the impossibility of life starting uh, from non-life. But let's give them some life or there's nothing else to talk about. If you start out with a bacteria cell, for it to change into anything, it has to add massive amounts of new and beneficial genetic information. Real science knows of no way for nature to do that. We'll talk about that more tonight. And if Darwinism is an issue for you, and it should be, it's all that's taught, I cover it in our Science and Darwinism. I'll uh, present that this evening as well. Um, have you ever heard that you're 98% uh, the same in your biochemistry as a chimpanzee, proving we're close evolutionary relatives? Have you heard that one? They throw that out all the time, don't they? Now, real science, a believer's best friend, I've seen as much as a 30% difference published in Nature magazine. So why do they go around saying it's a 2% difference? Um, in fact, if similar biochemistry proves your evolutionary past, did you know you're 96% the same in your biochemistry as a mouse? Yeah, you're 75% the same as a worm. Your biochemistry is 50% the same as that from a banana. Anyone evolved from a banana? Just three, that's not bad. Because <laughs> the last time I was on a college campus, 500 students raised their hand when I asked that question because they've been taught we've all evolved from common ancestors, which would mean you're related to bananas. I got home that night, got on the internet, checked my family tree. There wasn't a banana in the whole bunch. Oh, I heard that. Didn't find that very appealing. <laughs> the more you groan at my jokes, it just spurs me on. So, and I also cover all these things in my book, The Cost, easy to understand, to the point terms. If any of you are, uh, have a background in biology or um, uh, you're going to think, well, wait a minute, what about mutations? I cover that in my book, too. Mutations caused by the sorting or loss of genetic information, not by the gain in new and beneficial. I, I do cover that if you're interested. 
Well, let's get back to that ark. How many uh, animals might have been on that ark? Well, today we have about 2 million classified species, but if only about 40,000 of those are vertebrates. If you take out the marine creatures, amphibians, and the water-dwelling mammals who would not have been on that ark, you're left with only about 3,000 kinds. Two of each kind, there's 6,000 animals. Throw in seven of the clean types, you're looking at about 7,000 or so creatures on board the ark. The average size of a land dweller that breathes through their nostrils is the size of a house cat. So the question becomes, how did Noah and his family get about 7,000 house cat-sized creatures on board the ark? Well, now I'm just going to speculate here. Of the few large types, like, oh, the elephants or the giraffes or, or the handful of large dinosaurs, God brought younger ones to them. They were smaller, way less, lived longer to reproduce. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Am I saying dinosaurs would have been on the ark with Noah and his family a few thousand years ago? Well, the Bible says two of every sort shall come unto thee. In fact, the Bible says man and beast were both made on the sixth day. Now, we can be honest with ourselves, right? Either the Bible's true or the Bible's not true. So. Let's, let's look at dinosaurs for a couple of minutes. You know, the very first sentence you read to your child or grandchild right before they go to bed at night out of the dinosaur book, the very first sentence, man, the other side goes right for the jugular. 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct. You've just taught that child millions of years of death and suffering existed before man. Subtle and totally devastating. Later on, you tell that same child that by one man, sin entered the world, and death by man's sin, and they're going, wait a minute, Mom, wait a minute, Granddad, you've been teaching me millions of years of death existed before man. Do you see that? Totally devastating. Subtle, but devastating. So how in the world do dinosaurs fit into a biblical worldview? That's a picture of my wife, Joanna, by the way. She's the pretty one with the white blouse on, right? <laughs> <laughs> really, she is. She's not here today. We'll just keep that between ourselves. Now, before I get into this, I, I want to make one thing clear. I want us all agree on something. If dinosaurs have been gone for 60-plus million years before man existed, okay, 60 million years gone, there will be no evidence of man and dinosaur having lived at the same time. I mean nothing, correct? And if they've been gone 65 million years, there'll be no evidence of any fresh dinosaur materials, right? Okay, so let's look at some evidence, and you make up your own mind what you want to believe. First of all, the word dinosaur was only invented 177 years ago. Prior to that, they were called dragons and serpents. Now, if you look in a dictionary today under the word dragon, it'll read mythical creature. Here's a dictionary, not even 80 years old, that says dragon, now rare a huge serpent, a fabulous animal. You know, ancient history books are full of thousands of accounts of man and various dragons. We call these dragon stories today. Many of the descriptions sound like dinosaurs. Let me give you a couple examples that come out of what is now India. Have you guys heard of Alexander the Great? When his soldiers conquered that area 2,300 years ago, he said they were scared by the great dragons that lived there 2,300 years ago. Apollonius of Tyana wrote 1,900 years ago that the whole of India is girt with enormous dragons, killers of elephants. 
takes a big critter to kill and eat an adult elephant. We don't even have an animal that can do that today. You know, think about this logically. All over the world, we find cave drawings and man-made carvings in, in stone and wood and metals of dinosaurs. We find them all over the world. Now picture this on a timeline. Here we are today. We're told these things are 500 to 2,000 years old. But we didn't recognize dinosaur bones till 190 years ago. Wait a minute, if we didn't recognize dinosaur bones till 190 years ago, how come people all over the world know what they look like 500 to 2,000 years ago? I mean, someone had to see them, right? So nothing makes any sense. Now, this cave drawing was found in New Mexico a few years ago of a duck-billed dinosaur. The duck-billed dinosaurs, there are several types, they're also called hadrosaurs, they all had these odd crests on top of their heads. And this is Parasaurolophus. You see that huge white crest coming off the back of his head? Nobody knows what the crest was for. But what's interesting was we were told this was made about 1,200 years ago, and whoever drew it, drew it striped like a zebra. Well, the Darwinists were scoffing at this, saying, oh, there's no way you can know a stripe like a zebra. They've been gone 65 million years. Then a few years ago, they found a mummified duckbill dinosaur in South Dakota. It was mummified. The skin was preserved. And it was striped like a zebra. Somebody had to see him. It's the only thing that makes any sense. Hey, did you know in the last 20 years that more than 50 non-fossilized dinosaur bones have been found? Did you know that? Fresh dinosaur bones. They still have red blood cells, amino acids, and soft, flexible dinosaur tissues in it. Did you know that? How come that's not all over the front page? Well, you see, dinosaurs is one of the five pillars of secular old earth beliefs. Millions of years is their whole foundation, and based on the belief there was never a flood. Their, their five pillars are the belief there was never a global flood, radiometric dating, and the geologic column, based on the belief there was never a global flood, Grand Canyon and dinosaurs. I can take all five of those out given 20 minutes. All five of them. They're weak, but they own the system. So they just don't tell people things like this. Last year, they found dinosaur DNA in some of those remains. Wow. See, those biological materials couldn't last more than a few thousand years at the most. You know those sedimentary layers stratified out by grain size, weight, and density by moving water? They were laid down by moving water, just like the biblical view holes. Well, people say to me, well, the word dinosaur is not found in the Bible. Well, the word dinosaur was only invented 177 years ago, but dragons and serpents are mentioned 25 or so times. I think God's describing a dinosaur here, but you make your own decision on that. Where he tells Job, behold now behemoth, which means largest, which I made with thee. We were both made on day six. He eats grass like an ox. Well, some well-meaning theologians, having bought into the secular atheist belief that dinosaurs have been gone 65 million years, they try to explain behemoth away. Well, maybe that's an elephant or a hippo. Well, let's read further. His strengths are in his loins and belly. Strong loins and belly. Well, elephants and hippos, they do have big, strong bellies. Maybe one of those is behemoth. This guy's got a big, strong belly. <laughs> maybe he's behemoth. I'm just kidding. I think this is behemoth. I think God's describing the seropod-type dinosaurs. They were the largest land dwellers that breathed through their nostrils. They had to have strengths in the loins and belly to balance that huge, heavy, long neck and head and that long, heavy tail. In fact, speaking of the tail, the Bible says he moves his tail like a cedar tree. 
Well, that's not a tail like a cedar tree. That's more like a cedar stump. But here is a tail that's like a cedar tree. And I think God's describing a dinosaur. And I think God deserves the credit for his creation. And I also think we need to recapture dinosaurs for the glory of God and stop letting Satan use them to mislead not millions, billions of people into thinking the earth is, had came, has come about through hundreds of millions of years of death and suffering. Let me ask you a question. How many of you can believe, like the Bible says, and like the overwhelming historical, archaeological, geological, and biological information attests that man and dinosaurs lived together in the past? How, who can believe that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask you a tougher question. How many of you believe fire-breathing dragons lived with man? Just, just about 1%. That's, that's about normal. You might be thinking, who cares about this? Well, you see, if you send your kids off to college and they don't have at least a viable answer to that question, good scoffers will come up again and say, hey, you don't believe in fire-breathing animals, do you, as a Christian? And they're going to say, oh, no, that, of course not. And they're going to say, well, look here in Job 41 where your God talks about Leviathan, a flame goes out of his mouth, and their faith will likely be destroyed. Hey, we don't have fire-breathing creatures to test, study, and observe today, but can we come up with a viable theory to explain them? What about this as a theory? You make up your own mind. This is the bombardier beetle. Now, when he's threatened, he sprays an attacker with a chemical that is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, the boiling temperature of water. See, he was designed with two chambers that store two volatile chemicals apart from one another. Because if he was evolving slowly, the first time the chemicals touched, kaboom, that would have been the end of the bombardier beetle. Well, that's another issue, though. So when he's threatened, they go from the storage tubes to a combustion chamber where an enzyme is added, causing oxidation to take place, producing a chemical that is the boiling temperature of water. He does this in one-tenth of a second. How long does it take you to boil water? Talk about awesome biblical design. But anyways, he can spray this and hit an attacker right between the eyes with boiling chemicals. But what does that have to do with the theory about fire-breathing creatures? Well, let's go back to those duck-billed dinosaurs like the Parasaurolophus that was found striped like the zebra. Notice a huge crest coming off the top of his head. Now, nobody knows what the crest is for. There's about a thousand different theories. Um, some of the theories are maybe that, that was a big trumpet it used in the mating season, or, or maybe it was a big nose, an olfactory organ, or maybe it was a sword it used to fight other dinosaurs. Nobody really has a clue. What about this as a theory? Uh, this crest had a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. Well, maybe these were storage and combustion chambers that stored volatile chemicals apart from one another. And perhaps when he was threatened and they were mixed together and he breathed them out and they hit oxygen, Perhaps a flame went out of his mouth. That's just a theory. Oh, but wait a second. The Bible also talks about fiery flying serpents. Fiery flying serpents? Well, here's a painting about 560 years old of St. Michael and the angels fighting what they call the wyvern, which was a large reptilian creature with long leathery wings. Well, this is the Pteranodon. He was a large reptilian creature with long leathery wings. Notice the huge crest coming out the top of his head. Nobody knows what the crest was for. It was filled with a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. Perhaps those were storage and combustion chambers that store volatile chemicals apart from one another. And perhaps when he was threatened, he mixed these and they hit the oxygen. Well, maybe we had a fiery flying serpent. 
It's just a theory. I live in northern Arizona, just north of where I live is the Wapaki National Monument of Native American ruins, and on the Wapaki is found this cave drawing of a fire-breathing dragon. We're told it was made 1,100 years ago. Notice the huge crest coming off the top of its head. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe, like the Word of God says in the archaeological and historical evidence attests, man and fire-breathing creatures lived together in the past? How many of you can accept that? I want to make something clear, though. I'm not here today to get you to believe that man and dinosaurs lived together. Even though we did, we were both made on day six. The evidence is overwhelming. I'm not here to get you to, to trust in the fact that fire-breathing creatures lived, even though the Word of God says so, so we know that it did happen. My point is this. No matter what God's Word says, no matter how difficult it might be for our finite little brains to understand the abilities of the creator of the universe, if God's word says he has done something or he will do something in the future, you can put your trust in it, word for word and cover to cover. And when we don't trust God's word, that is not God's problem. That's our problem. We need to put our faith in the word of God. Um, do you think it was scary to live with dinosaurs? Do you think they can just consider us to be fast food? Maybe not fast enough food, right? Well, you know, actually the answer is no. Dinosaurs didn't eat people in the original creation. You might be thinking, how could you know that? Well, only one way, the Word of God tells me. You see, to every beast, God gave every green herb for meat. Plants were made to be the food source. Remember, in the original creation, there was no death, there was no suffering. Plants did not have a living soul, nephesh kaya. They, they were made to be the food source. There was no death in the original creation. Once Adam's sin corrupted the creation, things fell apart, but they were not designed to be meat eaters. It wasn't until Noah and his family got off the ark that God said, every moving thing shall be meat for you. So it's okay to kill and eat meat today if you receive it with thanks to your biblical creator. But it wasn't okay until he got off the ark. And in the nearing future, Jesus is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, where the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the lion will eat straw like the ox. We're going back to that perfect creation yet again. So I tell people, if you like eating halibut or chicken steak or you like deer hunting with your dad, you need to get it in now because it's not going to be that way in the new heavens and the new earth. Hey, have you ever heard the term prehistoric animal? Did you know that giant creatures are found in the strata layers? I mean, giant insects, giant plants, giant bears, pigs, rhinos, bison. Bison with 14-foot horn spans have been found. Um, but these are not prehistoric. It's an embarrassment to Darwinists that say things are evolving bigger and better, so they shovel them off to the side. Oh, those are prehistoric and don't like to talk about them. They're not prehistoric, they are pre-flood. Those are pre-flood animals. They found eight-foot-long sea scorpions. In Germany, a few years ago, they found a nine-foot-long centipede. Do you guys have centipedes here? Bet they're not nine feet long, are they? If he came crawling out from under the stage right now, I bet it'd clear the room real fast, right? They have found two-foot-long fossilized grasshoppers, two-foot-long fossilized cockroaches. You imagine opening up the counter the cabinet to get your cereal out in the morning and a two-foot-long cockroach jumps out on you. Wow. Boy, that'd wake you up in a hurry, wouldn't it? Those are pre-flood animals, not prehistoric. 
So what caused dinosaurs to go extinct? Well, you know, there's about 2,000 theories. Nobody really knows. The last 40 years, um, over the last five years, this has lost most of its scientific standing. But this is, most people believe this because it was taught for 35 years prior to that. Was that a big meteorite hit the planet, caused a dust cloud, the, the sun was blocked, the plants died, the animals died. There's really not much in the way of evidence to back that up. I have a theory that fits all the evidence. I think God judged man's sin with a flood of waters about 4,500 years ago that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven and all the creatures that were not on the ark, the land dwellers that breathed through their nostrils were drowned and buried, most of them totally destroyed, but a few fossils caught up in the sedimentary layers stratified out by grain size, weight, and density so we can find fossilized and non-fossilized dinosaur bones today that still have red blood cells, amino acids, dinosaur DNA, and soft flexible tissues in them. By the way, there are only about 50 kinds of dinosaurs. And the average size of a dinosaur was the size of a sheep. Some were smaller than chickens. And of the handful of large ones, he only had to bring young ones. The seropods were probably the two biggest animals on the ark. They were probably young ones about the size of an Indian elephant today. So there's not a problem getting these things on board the ark. Yet tonight, Around the globe, millions of children will go to bed and the last thing they're going to be read is 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct, Satan's seed is being planted. And Jesus said the enemy that sowed the lies is the devil and the harvest will be the end of the world. We have now lost almost an entire generation and it's not getting any better, my friends. Think about this. From the Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith. By what? By faith. Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know, he lived in a world where it probably hadn't even rained. And God tells him to drop his hobbies, his careers, everything he's doing, and he and his family are supposed to spend somewhere around 120 years building this ark because there's going to be a global flood <laughs> in a world where it hadn't even rained. But... Noah moved with fear, that means with respect to the word of God, and prepared an ark to the saving of his house and became the heir of righteousness, which is by what? Faith. We're supposed to have what? Faith. Faith in the word of God. Even if there are things we can't explain and don't understand when it comes to the abilities of the creator of the universe. He doesn't tell us every little detail. He just asks us to have faith. And the Lord said in Noah, after about 120 years, come thou and all thy house into the ark. And they went in as God had commanded. And once they entered the ark, God shut the door. And then it was too late for everybody else. Up to that moment, anyone in the world was invited to walk up that one narrow plankway through that one and only door into God's one and only plan of salvation from that coming global judgment of man's sin. And out of estimates, I've seen estimates of 100 million to a billion people, only eight people put their faith in the non-compromised Word of God. And God shut the door, and the fountains of the deep erupted, and the flood was upon the earth for more than 300 days. People think it was 40 days. No, the windows of heaven came down 40 days and 40 nights. The floodwaters rose for 150 days and then slowly abated over another 150 days. They were on the ark 371 days. 
Jesus tells us and warns us. Before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying. They were, they were living their lives. They were just living their normal lives, but they were scoffing at believers, ignoring the word of God, but they were getting married. They were eating and drinking, planning for the future, building businesses. Right up until the day Noah entered into the ark, and Jesus says, they knew not until the flood came and took them away. And Jesus warns, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus says right before his return, it's going to be like the days of Noah yet again. People will be eating and drinking and marrying, planning on their 401ks and their retirement plans in the future and ignoring the word of God, scoffing at believers, and they won't know until Jesus returns. And my friends, then it's too late. You see, the time to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior was 20 years ago. If you didn't do it then, it was 10 years ago. If you didn't do it then, it was a year ago. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to get right with Jesus. And you need to get right soon because we are living in the days of Noah yet again. Right now, we can all get on that one narrow pathway that leads to that one door into God's one and only plan of salvation from His coming global judgment. That one door is the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one found in the Bible and no other. Read the Bible, know the Bible. Don't get misled by people who want to get you off into the broad path that leads to destruction. The purpose of our ministry is to teach about creation, evolution, age, earth issues, to expose false anti-biblical teachings, which we'll do a lot this afternoon, this evening and to provide a reason for the hope that's in the heart of all true believers and all true seekers. We do this through our various teachings. Uh, we'll cover the age of the earth and the global flood, Pangea, continental drift, all sorts of things tonight. Uh, we'll cover the frauds of Darwinian evolutionism, and I'll show you how to destroy Darwinism scientifically in four seconds flat, which is why they don't have any evidence. You ever look in a biology book, uh, even an advanced biology book, all their proofs of Darwinism are always drawings. Don't Darwinists have cameras? There's an old saying that goes like this, Darwinists are experts at drawing things that never existed to support their theory that never took place. And I'll show you how to scientifically destroy Darwinism in four seconds flat. All of our teachings are on our DVDs. I don't copyright my DVDs. I tell people, get our DVDs, make all the copies you want. Give them to everybody you know. Ask them to make copies. Let's get some information out there. Let's make a difference in people's lives. My book, The Cost, covers the top 10 old earth beliefs, and I, I make it as short and to the point as I possibly can, as easy to understand as possible. I'm lazy myself. I hate reading 15 pages to get one paragraph worth of information, so I cut it down to the one paragraph. That's what my book, The Cost of, covers the top 10 old earth beliefs, top 10 Darwinian beliefs, top 10 evil fruits of these beliefs, top 10 proofs of the Bible and the global flood, and references more than 200 Bible verses. We have coloring books with a lot of information in it for kids. The information was really aimed at getting it to parents and grandparents when they read it to their kids and grandkids. And one on our, uh, our America's Christian heritage called Endowed by Their Creator. Hey, have any of you guys ever been to Grand Canyon? 
I take about a thousand people a year to Grand Canyon on biblical-based canyon tours. At Grand Canyon, it's one of the pillars of secular beliefs, but at Grand Canyon, I can show you where the original creation rock is. I can show you where the first, the flood layers come in and lay right on top of creation rock, literally where creation met judgment. And when you see it, you'll say, why didn't I notice that on my own? It's very obvious. I'll, I'll tell you how you tell. The lower layer, the lower rock in the canyon isn't stratified. The strata layers are the flood layers. When they come in, you can see right where they lay on the non-stratified rock. Literally where creation and judgment met. Now, when you're, you've seen pictures of Grand Canyon, right? When you're standing on the rim of the canyon looking down, it's a mile from the rim down to the river. A mile of sedimentary layers laid down by water. You know what they won't tell you at Grand Canyon because it destroys their belief? That mile is nothing. There's to be a mile and a half of layers above today's rim that have been removed from southern Utah all the way to the sea, leaving behind what's called the, uh, the Grand Staircase. This is a drawing of the Grand Staircase. If you've ever been to Bryce or Zion, you start out with the 2,500-foot cliffs at Bryce, you drop 40 miles, you got the 2,500-foot Grand Cliffs of Zion, drop about 60 miles, you got the 2,000-foot-tall Vermilion Cliffs, drop another 100 miles, you get the 2,000-foot-tall Mogollon Rim. That's a huge erosional event left behind that left the Grand Staircase and removed about 11,000 feet that used to be above what is now Phoenix, Arizona gone to the sea, there's no way to explain it, but flooding on a global scale and a global flood destroys every old earth belief that puts death before Adam. And in the process, it destroys naturalism, Darwinism, humanism, etc. I can go on a college campus and destroy Darwinism and they get mad. Nothing they can do though, because I'll just say, give me one example, they can't do it. But if I start talking about the age of the earth, I have to have bodyguards. They understand where the foundations are. But the canyon and the staircase are monuments to God's word. Let me end with this from the book of John. We're told, in the beginning was the word and all things were made by him. The word of God is our creator. Do you see that? The creator is the word of God. And we're told that the word of God, our creator, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Our creator is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the creator and the word of God. Now, Jesus also called himself the bread of life, so he's the word of God and the bread of life, but when tempted by Satan, he told Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And my friends, that means word for word and cover to cover, and that includes the first five words of the Bible, which read, in the beginning, God created. My friends, put your faith in the word of God word for word, cover to cover. Let's stay on that narrow pathway that leads to that straight gate into heaven with our Lord and Savior, the Word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. Let me end my part with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and for every dear soul that's here today. I thank you for Pastor Charlie and the leadership of this church that stand on your non-compromised word. I hope and I pray that the information we share today will be an encouragement and give us uh, information we can share with others to get them also on that narrow pathway. I ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.